He has invited you personally to participate in what he's up to. The gift is given in love, but the gift is received in faith. Make every effort to add to. And that is the foundation of faith. Putting our trust in the one who actually produces self-control. Let the people respond by saying, boo. Uh, yeah, yeah, we need our coffee. <laughs> and, uh, but Gray House will open again very soon with an expanded space, an expanded menu, including donuts. Let the people respond by saying, yes. <laughs> this time around, we're, we're hiring contractors to do the work. The first time, when we first opened, we spent... Uh, 42 days with 250-some volunteers working night and day, uh, like proverbially hitting the wall, right, and literally hitting the wall. And uh, it was like this surreal Nehemiah experience, and it was, it was awesome. And so part of that process was asking the big why. Why are we put, investing this money and all of this time and effort in order to launch something that has absolutely no guarantee there's no warranty on this. We don't know if it's going to work. We don't know if anybody will come. And uh, the T-shirts that we passed out to our volunteers said this, said a small, a small part of a larger story. And that really is the big why. Our, a couple of years ago, our, our staff kind of reframed the mission statement for Gray House, and this is what they came up with. Showing Jesus and building intentional community through extraordinary love and hospitality. And that's what they see every time they walk downstairs to the office. Showing Jesus and building intentional community through extraordinary love and hospitality. Henri Nouwen wrote that one of the gifts we bring to the world as Christians is making our lives available to others. Hospitality says this. It says, you belong. And even when Gray House is packed, which is most of the time, there is this sense that people still find there's, there's room for them to belong there, that they matter, and that um, when they experience this, this, this grace-driven hospitality and this genuine community that is paired with really good coffee and crepes, then they experience a, a bit of what it means to... Uh, experience the grace and the hospitality of Jesus and the generosity of Jesus. Um, so about 10 years ago, I was looking up old sermons, and it was February 24th, 2008. So the, the 2008 version of you all were sitting in these chairs, and um, <clears throat> I, I did the big launch, you know, the big unveil. We're going we're gonna to build a coffee shop, and there was this, oh, and it was, it was this uh, really... Uh, really, really fun day to, to give the big why. And so some of the language that I used 10 years ago, I wanted to share with you. It's not a Christian coffee shop, and it's not just a coffee shop. It's a, it's a third way. And actually, the third way is the harder way because it takes a lot of ownership, and it takes a lot of like prayer and mission, and it takes love, and it takes excellence, not excellence in in and of itself, but the kind of excellence that, that comes out of Jesus' followers 
as an act of worship, but it's also the kind of excellence that builds validity with the city, with the community, with the campus. And so um, Gray House, I said, doesn't redefine Campus House, but it, it better defines our mission to reach out um, past this ugly mushroom building to the street. And, and literally, it's been able to allow us to reach around the world because we have people from around the world that come every day. It's a place where grace lived, gets lived out. It's a place that is accessible to people that would never walk through these doors. It's a place that serves really good coffee. But as a business, um, we, we seek to serve the community through what we do. But the larger than that, the zoomed out picture of Gray House is that it breaks through stereotypes in a way that hopefully reflects and then connects people to Jesus through building relationships and trust. And that's, that's happened over and over and over again. And so Paul says in Ephesians, far beyond what we could possibly ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, that is what has been the storyline of Gray House. And so, uh, so thank you for being a part of it. Um, I want you to feel ownership. This is, this is, this is ours. This is an extension of Gray House, I mean, of Campus House. Um, let me catch you up, because um, you are, have been coffee-deprived. Uh, so not this week, but hopefully by the first part of next week, um, the right side, the new side of Gray House will be open for coffee, and it'll be limited seating, but um, we'll, we'll get back to our, our schedule. And, and then the old part of Gray House will continue to be remodeled over the next month or so. And so mid-February, we hope to be completely opened, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. Um, some things in the meantime for you to think and to do. Uh, you, you can give. Give. Um, this is a, a huge project, and um, it's an expensive project. And so we have been saving and, and raised a bulk of it, but we have still have a ways to go. And so uh, we're going to do that in a couple ways. Next Sunday, and including all that next week, um, if you want to give online, uh, we're going to take up an offering. All our offering next week will go toward the work at Gray House. And so be thinking about that and how to give generously to that. Um, we wanted to do that as, a, as an offering because it's an, it's an in-house act of worship, Okay. And that's different from Kickstarter. You're not getting perks with that. <laughs> um, what you are is, this is us as a house um, giving to this project that our house is doing. And so uh, this, is, this is a family deal. This is an in-house thing, okay? Uh, we also are doing a Kickstarter program. And so that is really for our friends who aren't necessarily part of Campus House, but who absolutely love Gray House. And there are thousands of them. So we want to include them as well. And they do get perks. They get T-shirts and mugs and stuff. And so if you want to uh, tell, get the, uh, this on your social media feeds, uh, that would be a huge help. We, our goal is, um, I think, $17,000 or so to raise through the Kickstarter. And so, um, so uh, tell. And then to pray. Pray for God's peace in this process because it's, it's, a, it's a big process and lots of decisions and lots of 
It's an it's a hundred-year-old building, and so it keeps, you know, every day is new challenges. And so would you pray for our Greyhouse staff as we make decisions? And would you pray for God's provision, um, just that we will get the full amount that we need to do this well? And then pray for God's ongoing work for the next decade, that God continues to use Greyhouse in a powerful way. Um, the next thing you can do is you can join the team. Um, uh, if, if you work at Grey House, can you just raise your hand? Okay. Can you look around? Hold your hands up. Hold your hands up. You can pick their brains afterwards about what, what it's like to work there. And um, we invite you to, we're going to do a bunch of hiring um, in the next couple of weeks. And so if, it's not just a job. <laughs> it, it is, it's on mission. And so... Um, you can go to the website to apply. And then the last thing, this is for all of us, to live the mission. So once again, showing Jesus and building intentional community through extraordinary love and hospitality. Every one of us that walks in those doors, we, we carry that mission with us. And so uh, if you're there to study, if you're there to have conversations, you're there to, to um, meet with your small group, if you're there to what, whatever, you are carrying that mission into the place with you, okay? And... Uh, and so uh, take, that, take that seriously, not in a uh, serious way, but like an intentional way, okay? Here's the, here's the last verse, and then we'll get into Second Peter. Romans 12 says, love from the center of who you are. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help the needy be inventive in hospitality. So we want to be inventive in hospitality. Cool? Any questions? Okay, it's really warm in here. So um, I, want to, I want us to get into 2 Peter chapter 1 today. And so if you have a Bible, would you turn there? Or if you have a phone, um, if you are the kind of person that takes notes, uh, this might be a good one to take some notes um, because there is a, those of you who are, are kind of logical, work through the process, uh, you're going to love today. Absolutely love today. Um, we're doing this series called Everything. It's just a two-week series, so this is the last week. And uh, the first week, last week, we uh, talked about that we come into the new year with some, some desire to do things differently. And some of us make formal resolutions and goals, and some of us just kind of wish things were a little bit different, all right? And spiritually, we, we want to grow in our relationship with Christ. And so how does that happen is the question from last week. Where's the starting point? And Peter, in his letter to the church, second letter to the church, lays out the starting point. And here's what it says. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, not scarcity, but abundance, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, his divine power has given us already everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Man, that is just jam-packed and we spent... 40 minutes on that last week. You can go back and listen to the podcast to get kind of that foundation, that starting point. But basically, it's this. 
God has already given you, if you are in Christ, if you've said yes to Christ, he's already given you everything you need. (laughs) Everything you need for life and for godliness. That is the reality. That's the new foundation that, that really forms your life. And it comes through this, not this book knowledge of Jesus, but this relational knowledge that continues to expand, continues to grow. And he has called you. So that's the foundation, not just for this semester, but for your life. And here's what Eugene Peterson says. That defines how we live. If Christ is king, then everything quite literally has to be reimagined, reconfigured, reoriented to a way of life that consists of in an obedient following of Jesus, a total renovation of our imagination. So Gray House Renovation Project is in full swing, but I want to talk about a different renovation project, and that is the renovation of your heart, of your mind in Christ Jesus. Okay? Let me pray, then we're going to add to that today. God, thank you for your people. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for what is already true of us. And so would you, um, would you teach us by your, your word today? We were praying earlier that, that you, Holy Spirit, are, are the worship leader through Ralph and the band. But you're, you're the worship leader. And, and you, you are the teacher. And so would you use my words that are simply trying to teach your word. This is your word. So would you then give us hearts and minds that are receptive to that? Would you, would you stretch us today? Would you challenge us today? But would you do that within a, an atmosphere of grace? So we're expecting big things from you today. And we want to jump into that. And we pray in Jesus for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Are you ready for this? Because I'm, I'm, I'm so pumped about today. I don't, I don't know how to convey that to you. I don't know how to get you pumped up. I'm not one of these, come on, you know, kind of guys at all. But I, I am so pumped about this passage of Scripture because, because it's like if I'm going to preach to you, I've got to preach to me first, Right? And so, so God's been, like, preaching to me big time. And it's, it's not always fun, but it's good. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay. All right. In light of this starting point, in light of the fact that everything's been given to you, Peter then says, add to, add to. In the word for uh well, let me start with this. Make every effort to add to. That word, make every effort, means everything that you've got. If this is what is already true, then our response is an all-in response to an all-in God. Make every effort to add to your faith. Apply all diligence with all urgency and zeal and compulsion. Think Frodo and Sam. Make every effort to add to 
That word means to, to make a lavish provision, to make space for, to expand, to supply, to build on, to keep going. Make every effort to add to your faith. Your faith. Everywhere in the New Testament, faith is the starting point. Romans 3 says, we are made right with God through faith, not obeying the law. Ephesians 2 says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves so that we can't take credit for it. Faith is the mode of transportation. John 3 says that Jesus came and he died for all of humanity, that his heart is that all would be saved, that everyone be rescued from the sinking ship of sin and brokenness and death. That's the gift. That's grace. But with a gift, you have, you have a giver and you have a receiver, right? And the gift is given in love, but the gift is received in faith. It's received in trust. It's received in belief. So faith is not the absence of doubt. It is a radical commitment to break new ground, to renovate. Receiving God's gift of salvation through faith and trust is where our renovation story begins. It's where your renovation story begins. And so if faith is a gift and that's the beginning point, then the question is, have you received that gift? Because all the rest of this passage is built on that. So the invitation is to receive God's grace in faith. And if, if, that's, a, if that's a new thing for you, then forget everything else I say. Just kind of spend that <laughs> the next 30 minutes or so. Just chewing on that, praying through that, inviting Jesus to take root in your life, receiving his good gift of forgiveness and grace, okay? That's the starting point. And then Peter says, add to that, build on that. And he said specifically to, uh, to add to your faith goodness, goodness. Goodness is a moral virtue, which is a kind of a, a Puritan, you know, pilgrim kind of word. Moral virtue. It means character. James K.A. Smith, he wrote a book called You Are What You Love, and I recommend it. It's an awesome book. He says, we learn virtue through imitation and practice. It's a, it's a retraining of our disposition, of our nature. We experience and then we imitate the goodness of Christ. In verse 3, um, it says that Jesus calls us from out of his own goodness, out of his own character, out of his own virtue. And so he calls us by his goodness to then choose to reflect and be a, uh, a practitioner of his goodness, of his excellence. Listen to this. It's to commit to what is absolutely and transcendently good and not just what happens to be good for me, what just seems good to us. According to our own standard of goodness or what makes us happy. Do you get that? 
to add goodness to our faith is adding a particular brand of goodness. And that particular brand of goodness is the character of Jesus, not what I dictate as good. Sink in a little bit. Hmm. Just practice. I have a counselor friend that says practice curiosity with that. It's like, how, how much on a day-to-day am I trying to dictate what is good? Am I framing my life around what makes me happy rather than framing my life around what God says is good in imitating the character of Jesus? Okay, all right. Add to your goodness knowledge. Knowledge. It's knowledge that cannot be obtained apart from proximity to God. It's practical, it's everyday wisdom, it's knowing right from wrong, it's God's word applied in a way that actually shapes our decisions in our actions and our motivations. We said last week it's not book knowledge, it's not smart knowledge, it's not as good a seminary kind of knowledge. It is to know and to listen, to, to know God's will through intimacy with God. Add to your knowledge then self-control. This one rocked me. Self-control, the word in Greek means uh, mastering one's moods rather than being controlled by them. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how much of our lives and decisions are based upon how we feel? And if I'm feeling really crappy, that's going to show up in how I treat you and treat my family and how I make decisions, right? Mastering one's moods. Peter is writing this letter to the church who is being inundated with false teachers who are basically saying that you don't need Jesus to live a holy life. But Peter is showing that submission to Christ means that we do not have to be a victim to our own moods or disposition. The false teachers were saying, you should be driven by your mood. You should be driven by your passions. If it feels good, then by all means, do that. But the way of Jesus is by all means, do the way of Jesus. It's not self-mastery. It's not like this ninja Jedi kind of, you know, self-control. In in Paul's letter to the Galatian church, in chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And self-control is part of that collective fruit. It's the nature of the Holy Spirit, which is in you when you are in Christ, right? And so when we willingly participate and submit to his authority and leading, then, then we have the power to say no to whatever will kill us spiritually, whatever will lead us away from God. That's self-control. Self-control is based on knowledge, which is based on virtue, which is based on faith, which is a gift. <laughs> so let, let, me, let me talk really honestly to us for a second, okay? If self-control, if self-control feels elusive, if you are really struggling to let go of of habits and to let go of addictions or bad decisions, if you are continually stuck in this perpetual 
cycle of guilt and shame, doing the same stuff over and over and over and saying the same, God, if you get me out of this, I will never do this again. And then the next day, oh, crap, I did that again. And if you're in this same, same rut, if self-control feels like a perpetual self-defeat, if me even saying self-control produces this visceral response of, ah, then maybe we need to go back to the beginning, back to putting our faith in Christ. Does that make sense? If we are perpetually stuck and self-control is not an option, Maybe we need to go back to where Peter starts, and that is the foundation of faith, putting our trust in the one who actually produces self-control in us. All through the history of mankind, people have tried to master the art of self-control apart from the Holy Spirit, and it doesn't work. God never promised the unbeliever the kind of power that would break chains of addiction. He never promised the unbeliever the kind of power that would break the perpetual cycle of shame. But he did. He did promise that for you if you are a believer. He gave you the promise that his power has given you everything that you need, including self-control. Add to your self-control, then uh, this order is awesome. Patience, perseverance. It means you keep going. It's not just putting up with the way things are. It's not being a rug, you know, a doormat. Endurance is not a desperate hanging on, but it's a traveling from strength to strength. I love that. I don't know who said it, but he's brilliant. She's brilliant. Endurance is not a desperate hanging on, but a traveling from strength to strength, paying more attention to God's righteousness than to our own righteousness. And in self-control, perseverance. Perseverance flows out of self-control. Eugene Peterson says, it's, it is apathetic, sluggish neutrality that is the death to perseverance. It's a virus to discipleship. We drift on the tides of convenience. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 speaks of the perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12 says, Jesus himself, for the joy set before him, endured, had perseverance. He had the cross and he had you in his peripheral. And that is what propelled him to die on a cross for us. He persevered out of love. And so as we persevere, as we endure, we, we endure with the cross and with his promises and with eternity in our peripheral. Isn't that cool? Yes. Add to your patience, godliness, to be awake to him in every part of our lives. Godliness is this, this desire of heart, of emotions, but also a desire of the mind and the will 
to be pleasing to God in every part of our lives. The way we, we treat each other and the way we use words and the way that we think and the way that we work and the way that we love. It's this persevering, steady devotion to God with everything that you've got throughout every part of your life. Add to that then brotherly kindness. We're almost done. Stay awake. Add to, add to godliness, brotherly kindness. That word is Philadelphia, which played a really good football game yesterday, but they, Philadelphia means brotherly love. It's so closely linked to godliness that in 1 John, he says, if someone says, I love God, but then hates his brother, nah, the love of God is not in that dude. Jesus said this in John 15, my command is love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. That means, get this, that affection, compassion, familial love, brotherly love, completely uproots and rejects any ounce of prejudice, any ounce of racism, any ounce of discrimination, any ounce of elitism, any ounce of inequity in the body of Christ. We've got to get that. That if we don't have love for one another, the love of God is not in us. It's a package deal. Which leads to this final word. Add to your brotherly kindness, love. Agape, sacrificial, costly love. Agape love is God's brand of love. God loves because he is love. We are to love because we are of God. We wear his brand. Colossians says, put on love. It's a kind of love that recognizes the label made in the image of God on every single person. It's a love that seeks the other's good, even at cost to ourselves. It's love that mirrors both justice and grace, that points toward redemption and renewal. It's love that is chosen even if you don't reciprocate it. I choose to love you regardless. So that's the list. And Peter tags on this little bit at the end. He says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, which totally obliterates this whole check it off the list mentality. If you possess these in increasing measure, ongoing transformation. Do you remember when you were learning to drive? How incredibly alert you were to everything. Well, Blake's going, no, I wasn't. You should have been. No, man, you, you are, so our, our youngest, Justin, is learning to drive, and so he's like going through all the checklist, you know, and he, he, is, he is paying attention to where that curb is, and he is so hyper-aware and then after you drive for a while, it just becomes second nature, right? Hopefully you're still alert. <laughs> the, 
but you don't really think about every single detail. Your, your, uh, your disposition, there are some things that are in your first nature, like breathing, that you don't think about until right now. Now you're thinking about breathing, right? <laughs> Peter says that we have been given the divine nature of God. So as we live out of that reality, increasingly so, the character and the presence of Jesus becomes more our character. That, that we take on more of him, that he has more real estate in our heart, in our mind, that we begin to reflect him in our disposition. That who you are now is not who you were two months ago is not who you will be in five years. In increasing measure, this continual growth, this continual process of aligning and reorienting our lives to God's nature and truth and goodness, to become more and more like Jesus, to, in the words of Hebrews, throw off everything that hinders us and everything that so easily entangles us to run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? That's a question. Jesus. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted, he's blind, he's forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. If we keep this going, if we keep adding to this foundation of faith with all of these characteristics of Jesus, that keeps us from being ineffective, that keeps us from being unfruitful. John 15, Jesus says, um, abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear fruit. It will keep us from being nearsighted and blind, all stuck in our present reality and not having any, any semblance of, of God's reality, of eternal reality, forgetting that we've been rescued because we're just kind of going through the motions of doing the deal. Oh, so much more. Without being awake to his grace, this is just an exercise of self-betterment, which leads to spiritual arrogance. But that's not what he's calling us to. Second Peter is this letter written to the church that is just being bombarded with false teaching. People trying to steer them off the rails of Jesus. And so really the theme of the letter is in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, you already know these things, dear friends, so be on your guard. Be awake then you'll not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Be awake so that you won't get looped into the lie. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So five or six really, really quick things before we have communion. Okay. What's it mean to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? It, first of all, it's both a gift and an invitation. Last week, we said that the reality of your life, that if you're in Christ, everything you need is already been given, past tense. You've already received this grace. But it's also an invitation to keep exploring with him. 
Jesus said, keep coming close. Keep coming close. Secondly, growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus only takes place in proximity to Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, nothing happens, Jesus says. Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Come close. Growing, number three, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus is designed to flourish in the laboratory of Christian community. Oh, man. Mother Teresa called America the most socially impoverished nation in the world. With all of our social stuff, we're the most socially impoverished nation in the world. It's a culture that idealizes and idolizes individualism. But the way of Jesus is marked by interconnectedness in a worshiping community. Acts 2, everyone had a sense of awe. And all those who believed were together. They had all things in common. Romans 12 says, each member belongs to all the members of the body of Christ. Next one is growing in the grace of Jesus. The knowledge of Jesus is never finished. We already talked about that. Don't, you can't check it off the list. Philippians says that your love may abound more and more. First Thessalonians says, do this more and more. Increasing measure. Growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus revolves around receiving his grace in the first place. We can't get the proverbial uh, horse in front of the proverbial. We can't get the proverbial cart in front of the proverbial horse. See what I did there? Yeah. You got to get them in in, in the right order. So uh, Ralph, who uh, leads worship and is my awesome son-in-law, and Ralph and Emma just got a new dog. And this dog is going to be the size of this room. But right now, he's he's a puppy. And he's learning things. And so um, he's, he's learning how to, 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 to pee in the right place at the right time. It's really difficult right now. And, um, and they got one of these, these bells that her, his na- her, her, name, her, name, her name is Berlin. And Berlin can, can like ring the bell to, to go out to pee, right? But what's been happening is that Berlin pees and then goes over and rings the bell. <laughs> it's like. Look what I did, you know? That's not the way it's supposed to work. You got to get the order right. And when it comes to grace, we've got to get the order right. Paul says in Philippians 1, continue to work out your salvation, not to work for your salvation. Work it out. Play it out. Respond to his grace. Don't get the order wrong. That's religion when we get the order wrong. What God's calling us to is to respond to his love. And when you experience his love, you can't not respond to it. And how we respond is to build on what's been given. Let's take communion together. Each week, we take this bread and this cup, which represents the body and the blood of Jesus. It represents God's brand of love, true agape, true sacrificial. I'm, I'm, I'm pouring it all out kind of love. Paul says it's that love that compels us. 
His love is what compels us. So part of this renovation of the heart and of the mind is going back to that. That if there's any other compulsion for you and me being a Christian, can we let that dissipate into this mind-blowing reality of the love of Jesus? Let's pray about that. God, thank you for your good gifts. And Lord, we, we want to receive them. We want to receive them in faith, and we realize that even faith is a gift. So on the one, one hand, it, it takes us out of the equation, and on the other hand, It's because you see us, Jesus. It's because you know us. It's because you love us that you went to the cross. That we, that humanity was what was in your peripheral. So as we take communion, would you fill our peripheral? Would you fill, fill our eyesight? Would you, would you fill our hearts? Would you fill our minds completely with you? Compel us by your love. And we pray in Jesus. Amen. This quote from N.T. Wright, whatever we do but in... By the way of obedience to God or allegiance to God and the gospel, it all takes place within the grace of God, by means of the promise of God, through the power of God, in leading to the kingdom of God. Dallas Willard said, spiritual formation in Christ is an orderly process. Although God can triumph in disorder, that's not his choice. Instead of focusing on what God can do, we must humble ourselves to accept the way he has chosen to work within us. This is the way of renovation. This is the rhythm of grace. This is the invite to grow. So I'm in with this, 2 Thessalonians. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, sisters, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word indeed. In this from John, this is Jesus saying, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Hmm. Acting on what already is true about the everything nature of God. Hmm. So Lord, thank you for that. Continue to draw us into deeper waters. Continue to uh, invite us into partnership with your spirit in our lives and through our lives. For your glory, Jesus.